Sing with me. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Father, we praise you and give you honor and glory. Lord, I ask that the spirit of the Lord is here, but not just here in this community, and not just this community, but all surrounding areas. Father, you have said that the harvest is ripe. You're just waiting on the workers, so pray for the workers. So I am praying for people to tell this community about Jesus Christ. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So you will see up there, there is a picture of a man, and that's a picture of of Rod when he was a little bit younger. He had longer hair. Um, He used to wear those things, whatever you call them, like that scarf-looking thing back in the 1600s. No, probably realistically, it might have been Jack. You know, I've got to get a couple more ribs, you know. He's about that age. So this person, which I'm assuming most of you do not recognize, his name is Thomas Blood. What a name, Thomas Blood. And he was a self-appointed colonel. Now what Thomas Blood was not really known for is he had actually left the royalist cause in England and decided to, to join Oliver Cromwell and moved up to Ireland in his treachery. So he was a deserter. I don't believe in, in what England has to, to give. So he deserted, and he was paid with this treachery. He had this royal, I mean, almost a royal estate in Ireland. But King II decided to reestablish the crown and said, you can't have that land anymore. Well, how do you think Thomas Blood felt? Probably not too good. So he said, I will destroy this kingdom little by little. So he started attempting to kidnap the dukes around. And he actually did, he and some of his cohorts actually kidnapped one and and murdered him. And it came to the point where his head was worth a thousand pounds. Back in the 1600s, a thousand pounds for one man. Well, he got the great idea that maybe to destroy this crown is actually to steal it. And what he decided is we are going to steal the crown jewels. And in 19, I mean 19, 1671, he decided we are going to, we are going to steal this. So he went there and posed at the Tower of London. He posed as an Anglican priest, a clergyman. And he went in, and, and he met this, uh, the guy, his name was, if I remember correctly, I believe it was Edwards. Uh, yeah, Talbot Edwards was the guard there. And they really only had one guard. He was an ex-military, ex-soldier, and he was about 78 years old. But they figured, hey, it's all right. You know, we've got guards all around. We only have one guard here. So he posed there as an Anglican clergyman, but he was allowed to marry, so he he hired an actress to be his wife. 
And as they went and cased out the joint and made pleasantries with uh, Mr. Edwards, his wife, well, pretend wife, pretended to be sick. And so this guy, Blood, Colonel Blood, said, could you please take my wife to your, to your home right now, just so that so she can get her wits about her and feel a little bit better? So they took, they took her up to the house, and they took care of her. And Colonel Blood, as the Anglican clergyman said, this will not go unpaid. So the next week he comes back and he has a gift and he says, I really appreciate what you did for my wife. And so he gives a gift and he started coming back regularly to case the joint. But Edwards thought to to join in friendship. And so one day, Blood says, Mr. Edwards, I noticed that you have an unmarried daughter. Well, I have an unmarried nephew, and I think they'd be a great match. Can I bring them along someday, and and they can meet? And so he said, that would be brilliant. I've been waiting to get my daughter wed, and so uh, let's arrange it sometime. And But he says, I I want you to meet my nephew first before, before you get ready to get married. So he said, okay, just bring him along. Well... Blood and three of his cohorts come up one day in May and said, hey, since we're here, I, I want you to meet my nephew, but since we're here, could we, they haven't seen the crown jewels. Can we go see it? So they go down into the little area of the, where the crown jewels are. And as they go in there and they lock the door behind them, Blood has a mallet, a wooden mallet in his, under his robes, and whacks Mr. Edwards on the head. And then they even stab him once. And boom. He's out of commission. They tie a gag around his mouth, and that's it. Well, he's like, how am I going to get this crown out of here? So he smashes the crown into a plate, and his son decides to take the scepter and cut it in half. And then the royal orb, one other guy just sticks them in his pants, and, and they are running out. And as they run out, somehow the fourth guy, who is the, the watch-out guy, says, hey, the sun's coming. Edward's son, who was a soldier currently, comes and is looking for his dad. Well, somehow the father gets the gag off and says, treason, treason. The jewels are gone. Well, enough people heard and surrounded those guys quick enough to get them back, the crown jewels back, but it smashed and cut in half. Ironically, the ending of that story was blood. They thought, he's, gonna, he's dead. You know, this is it. This was, this was highest treason. He's he's, uh, created treason before, and this is the highest treason now. But the king, Charles II, was so amused with him because he he said, I want to only talk to the king. He was so amused with him that he actually reinstated his land in Ireland. And it's, it's so strange that he would do that 
over something that was so valuable. Now, how many of you have seen the crown jewels and some pictures? Have any of you seen it in person? Well, as you, if you've seen it in person, as you probably know that there has been an evolution on where, how they guard the crown jewels. Right now, it's, it's within bulletproof glass. There are over 100 hidden cameras, and there's at least 22 known guards guarding a crown, an orb, and a scepter. They've invested so much to guard this. And it's all used for just ceremony. But if you also know that before the 1990s, it used to be in a different place, which had more of the aura of the original. And now people are saying that it's lost its aura. They've just done it because in the 1980s, about 15,000 people per day were coming through to see. They're like, we cannot house this many people. You had to wait in line for hours. So they said, let's just get them like cattle. And so they built this bigger room, and, and now they can do this to see a ceremony, a ceremonial representation of the crown. I want to talk to you about the Shabbat, the Sabbath. I personally, I, we are not going to prove that the Sabbath exists or that it's the seventh day and those kinds. Those things, I think, are clear on themselves. They are things that we have Bible studies and evangelistic series to prove. I, I'm not going to prove on that because I don't think that that is the purpose. I actually think the Sabbath would stand on its own if we knew the purpose of why the Shabbat exists. If it was the day of joy that we claim, and not just a list of facts of why, that it is true or not, maybe people would be drawn to the Shabbat. When I was, uh, my first pastor, it was at West Virginia University. It was a, a church right there near West Virginia University. And they brought me in because I wanted to get involved in collegiate ministry. And so they said, oh, this is a perfect fit for you. So I was there, and I started attending the Campus Crusade. Does anybody know what Campus Crusade is for Christ? So I started attending and became friends with some of the people that attended. And I actually asked to meet with their leader, sort of their pastor there, to see if I could get involved. And um, he had found out from somebody else that I was a Seventh-day Adventist, and not only a Seventh-day Adventist, I was a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. And so he said, well, let's go grab lunch. And so we went and grabbed lunch, and he said, um, he just asked me some questions about my relationship with Christ, which was really good. And then he said, you know, Ken, I, I'm going to stop you right now. I don't think you can help. I said, why? Uh, he said, I think you are probably a little too tied to this Sabbath deal. And I said, I said, okay. Um, so I asked him, well, can I just ask you then? Um, what do you think? The, you know, what, why do you think there's a problem with the Sabbath? Or, you know, or that I'm passionate about this? He said, well, that's been done away with. You know, that's an old covenant kind of deal. And I just don't want uh, kids getting confused about this. 
And I said, well, then, so, so you're saying that you don't keep the Seventh-day Sabbath because of it's an old covenant. He said, yeah, that's it. He said, and I, I really just don't want the kids to get confused, which was, okay, you know, that's the, his prerogative. He's got to guard his flock. Well, a couple days later, one of, the, uh, one of the college students that I knew said, I want you to come to my group, which was the Baptist Campus Ministries. And I met with him, their pastor, and he, we just got along great. And we started worshiping on Wednesday nights together, you know, at their worship center. And it actually came to the point where when he would leave on vacations, he'd say, Kent, can you teach for me? And he, he would say, hey, you know what? We're doing a series on different religions other than Baptists. Would you teach about Seventh-day Adventists there? So he wanted me to teach. He said, teach us about the Sabbath. We want to know about this stuff. So, so I had an opportunity to do that. At the same time, I also made a friend who was a Catholic minister. Who, if you know, there's priests, but then there's Catholic clergy that he was like a youth pastor that um, can get married. So I knew his soon-to-be wife. That's how I met him. And we got into just conversation about religion and everything. And I said, let me ask you a question. Because I told him my experience at Campus Crusade. And I said, why don't you keep the seventh-day Sabbath? You believe it's true, right? He's like, oh, yeah, it's easily proven in Scripture. I know that's the seventh day. Come on. I said, well, why don't, you, why don't you keep it? He said, it's clear. I believe in the authority of the church. I said, that's the best answer I've heard from anybody. He said, I believe in the authority of the church. My church has claimed authority to change the Sabbath, and so I believe in that. He said, that's a good answer. I don't believe in that, but that's a truthful answer. There's a lot of confusion on the Sabbath. And I think at times we have not put it in good light. So instead of people embracing this jewel, this crown jewel, people have pushed it away. Go to Exodus chapter 8, verses 2. I have 20 through, it's 8, chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Obviously dyslexic there. Exodus 20. I'm just going to open it up here. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. And it says this. Remember, and the Hebrew word is zechar, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your manservant or maidservant nor your animals nor your aliens within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He says, therefore, you know that the word therefore means something preceded, and therefore, here's the conclusion. The thing that preceded is the Lord did something mighty, and you react. Actually, in Hebrew thinking, this is all of worship. Worship is your reaction to something God does. You don't have to conjure up worship. God does something, you react. It's like if I threw a baseball at, whoo, whoa, that was weird. If I threw a baseball at Joe right here, 
he has several reaction things that he can do. He can let it hit him in the face. Maybe he can catch it. Or you can dodge it. It's how you react. This is worship. And he says, the Sabbath is given in reaction to what God did. God is your creator. Do you remember that? I I heard one amen. God is your creator. And he created this world beautiful and perfect. And even in its marred state right now, God still created. Have you noticed, and you know this, have you noticed that the two institutions that established covenant at creation, Shabbat and marriage, are under attack. Maybe marriage even more right now. You know, within our country, marriage is very much under attack and has been for years. So, the first thing that Shabbat represents, because Shabbat Sabbath represents so much more than what we've traditionally thought. Sabbath does represent, it is a memorial set up to remember your creator. Ironically, the word remember is the opposite of what? Forget. The word zakar means to remember, to recall, to embrace, to reestablish covenant with. But you know that the law was written in another place, and it was in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And it's just a little bit different when he addresses the Sabbath. In verse 12, it is not used the word zakhar, remember. It uses the word shamar, observe or guard, and I will read it. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you will labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the, of your, the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox or your donkey or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. It is not about creation this time. It is about what? Yeah. Redemption, salvation, deliverance. You were slaves and now you are free. Here is your day of freedom. In the Hebrew idea, Shabbat is representative not just of creation. It is not a memorial of just creation. It is, we were slaves and now I'm free. Actually, do you understand that the whole Exodus, the story of Exodus, is about Shabbat? It is. Do you remember the story? Did God tell Moses, well, Did Moses go in saying, I want to take my people away forever? No. Remember in Exodus chapter 5, he says, my people, we want to take them out for a festival. For about two or three days. For a Shabbat. We want to take them out for a Shabbat. The whole purpose of Exodus 
is we want to give them what you have already because you have laid something heavy on their backs. Do you actually know that in Hebrew, the opposite of, of Shabbat is slavery? Slavery is the opposite. And see, where Egyptians were slaves in themselves is that they were so concerned with making things bigger and better and better that it was not enough for them. They needed to put it on the backs of the Israelites. And so, actually, God is saying, if you give them Shabbat, you also will get Shabbat. You will get Sabbath also. You will realize who I am. You will see that I am the creator. And you do know that with the ten plagues, that everyone that he attacks, all the plagues, they're intentional, right? It's, they're not, oh, well, I'm going to pick flies today, I think, or I'm going to hit the Nile. No, everyone was some kind of God of power. He says, no, I am the God. I am the God. I am the God. And if you want to join me, you are welcome. And you do know that some of the Egyptians did join after the Pesach, after Passover. They joined with them. And they enjoyed the Shabbat. But Shabbat is for freedom. This is, I'm going to get on my one soapbox on the other side, okay? Because I truly believe in Shabbat and Sabbath. But sometimes we have crucified this day and made a day of freedom into a day of slavery. That things that are more concerned with Sabbath are the things that you do not do. You cannot swim. You cannot canoe. You cannot play with your friends. I went to a youth summit one year, which is like a, I don't know what you call them now, but, you know, we went to this youth summit, and there were some, it was in a gym, and we had our worship and stuff, and right after lunch, some kids found a basketball. You know, this is in the, this is still in the, you know, early 90s. You know, they got, they found a basketball, and they, and they started shooting, and, and I think the the youth leader wasn't really a youth pastor, and he didn't really know what to do. And he was like, you know, there's some conservative people around here. And they, he goes, if you're going to shoot, you have to say a verse every time you shoot the basketball. And so guess what verse they kept saying? Jesus wept. What's up? Jesus wept. And there was the same verse, Jesus wept. Right. And that's what sanctified their slavery. We have made a day of freedom, a day of joy, a day of dancing. Did I say dancing when I'm being videotaped? By the way, you do realize right after the Exodus, right after the Red Sea, Miriam and the women come in and they, do they kneel down and say a little prayer? Nope. They dance because they have freedom that they no longer, they have freedom that they didn't have not too long ago. This is Shabbat. If you ever go to a Messianic service, you will see. I love Messianic service. They usually bless the children right up front, and then they dance around the children. And the kids see joy on the Shabbat. It is not a ritual of death. Or slavery, it is a day of joy. Do you know 
ironically, that the only prohibition scripturally for Shabbat is what? Do not work. But you know that the adopted from Talmud with Orthodox Jews, what it says now? You cannot write. You cannot cook. You cannot drive. You know, there are parts of Jerusalem that you cannot drive on Shabbat. Or they will stone your car. But we have also followed suit. This day that was supposed to be the highest of days is now a day where some kids, or people at least my generation, dreaded. Oh, it's Sabbath. That means I can't play video games. I can't watch TV. I can't do this. I can't. But this was supposed to be the highest of days. And I, I'm going to follow this for, for a second. In Isaiah, I want you to turn to Isaiah. This is the, the text that you had read, Joe. Isaiah 58. Isaiah chapter 58. says this, and I'm going to go to the end of the chapter, which is the verse that he read, well, the verses, but we're going to read context after. It says, if you keep your foot from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and call the Lord's day holy, uh, day honorable, and if you honor it by not doing your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, Then you will find your joy, which is ironic. He says, if you don't do as you please, you'll find your joy, which is what would please you, in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. By By the way, the word, as you do as you please, is the Hebrew word chefetz, which chefetz usually is used towards business. So what he is probably saying here is, if you abstain from your daily business and enjoy my business, then you're going to enjoy this day a lot more. But you wonder, what is he talking about? What's the context of this verse? So I want you to go back. I want you to go back to verse 4. So you're still there in 58 and verse 4. He says, I want to tell you about a holy fast. And remember, this is context, because the Sabbath is a fast. It is a ceasing. That's what Shabbat means. It means to cease. So verse 4 says, your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen only for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is, it what you, is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? In the context, the same with the Sabbath. Is it just for abstaining from stuff? Is the Sabbath really just abstaining from stuff? It says here, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free. To break every yoke. 
Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide for the poor wanderer with the shelter with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. The Shabbat is to restore humanity. That's why there was freedom. But how you treat your brother and sister, that is Shabbat. When we, when people out there start seeing people in here embrace the spirit of Sabbath, all they will see is Jesus Christ lifted up because that's what Jesus did, right? That's what he was called to do. He says, if you want the spirit of Shabbat, that is it. To free oppressed, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked. There is one more point that Sabbath represents. Now remember, I said that God is your creator, right? That's one. That's one of the questions in there. God is your creator. The second part of the Sabbath in Deuteronomy, God is your deliverer. This one's a little bit different, but I want you to go to Hebrews. I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. It's New Testament. And Sabbath is mentioned, New Testament, several times. But Hebrews 4, starting with verse 8. And and the context is talking about Joshua bringing the people into the promised land. It says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest, which in Hebrew it's sabbaton, I mean in Greek, sabbaton, for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest so that none of us will fall by following their example of disobedience. As you know the context, there were people that didn't believe the spies. And so they were not allowed into the promised land because they were disobedient. And in Hebrew, like Messianic Hebrew, and even in Adventism, we believe that them going into Canaan is like us going into eternal life. And what he's saying here is the Sabbath represents that going into eternal life. That is what Sabbath represents. Do you want eternal life where there is no more death, sorrow, crying, and pain? I'm hoping so. Sabbath is the memorial of that. You remember Sabbath and its true purpose, and you will look forward to the rest that comes when Jesus returns. There is a book. And if you do not have this book, I don't care if you're Seventh-day Adventist or not. It's a beautiful book. Now, it's by a Jewish, well, he is now dead. He died in the 1970s. A Jewish philosopher, theologian named Abraham Joshua Heschel. There are not many authors that I like more than Abraham Joshua Heschel. So remember this name. Does anybody have this book? 
It should be in all of your libraries. But Heschel, Rabbi Heschel, says this. The big debate, and this is probably his crown jewel of, of what is all of that he wrote. He wrote, the big debate is between spi- uh, space and time. We struggle between space and time. And when he talks about space, he means materials. The material world versus time. And ironically, the first time that holy is used, kadosh, is with time. Remember, he said, I, he blessed this day and made it holy. And it uses the word in Genesis 2, verse 3. But he says, we are obsessed with space, with materials. And we sometimes even substitute time with materials. Let me explain this. Do you remember the song? Well, some of you remember the song. Some of you are way too young for the song. I remember hearing it on the radio when I was a kid. Cats in the Cradle. Do you remember this? Can I read a couple lyrics? And, I mean, I know it's Sabbath, but just for illustration purposes. I'm not going to sing it to you. My father-in-law might. Amen? All right. Amen, all right. So... The lyrics, the first verse says this, My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking, for I knew it. As he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. And then there's the chorus, which I, you know the chorus. Um, and then the next verse says this, My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And he asked, and as he walked away, but his smile never dimmed and said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, you know, I'm going to be like him. And you know, this sad song ends where it flips where the son is too busy for the dad. And the problem is they had substituted what was important as in time with things. And we do this. I am working for that new boat. I am working for whatever I'm trying to work for. And we think that our kids really love the bigger toys. When, ironically, they probably would rather have the time. Do you understand? What is more valuable? And he says, this is a problem. That we have lost the joy of time because we're concerned with space. And he said, we actually have come to the point where we can easier, Lee, Easierly? I don't know if that's a word. More easier. It is more easier for us to desecrate time. Sorry, English teachers. We, it is easier for us to desecrate time than a space. Meaning, if I spray painted this whole church up, some people would be more offended than desecrating the time that God has made holy. There's one thing I want to read from this. 
which impacts me every time I read it about the joy of the Sabbath. He says here, the Sabbath is represented not in the spirit of the Bible. So there's a context there. But he says, we have, even us that adhere to the Sabbath have represented it not in the spirit of the Bible, but in the spirit of Aristotle. So philosophy. According to the Staggerite, we need relaxation because we cannot work continuously. Relaxation, then, is not an end. It is for the sake of activity, for the sake of gaining new strength for new efforts. Let me say that again. What he's saying is, we are still even treating the Sabbath according to space. Because we need to be more efficient, space people working for more stuff, God gave us a time to rest so we can be more efficient. And he says that's not biblical. He says, to the biblical mind, however, labor is the means towards an end. And the Sabbath, as the day of rest, as a day of abstaining from toil, is not for the purpose of recovering one's lost strength and becoming fit for forthcoming labor. The Sabbath is a day for the sake of life. I'm going to read that line again. The Sabbath is a day for, for the sake of life. Man is not a beast of burden, and the Sabbath is not for the purpose of enhancing the efficiency of his work. Last in creation, first of intention. The Sabbath is the end of the creation of heaven and earth. The Sabbath is not for the sake of the weekdays. The weekdays are for the sake of the Shabbat. It is not an interlude, but the climax of living. How beautiful. The Sabbath is for the sake of life. Do you know that even within our biology, this is taught? That even within, there's a thing called chronobiology. And and some scientists are a little weird about it. But there is these rhythms. So how many of you have heard of the circadian rhythm? Well, there's one also called a circuseptin rhythm, which is that it's believed that several parts of our biology is based on the seven-day cycle. Ironically, do you realize that in nature, our times are, are dictated by nature, right? So we have the sun, well, the earth, turns around one time, and that is what, what is that? One day. How about, how about, what gives us a month? The moon, right? Moon around the earth. What gives us a year? Earth around the sun, right? What gives us a week? God, that's it. Scientists cannot figure out, where does the week, and it's been tried to, they tried changing it. But the week is only attributed to the Hebrew scriptures. And he says, and so God says, I will give it in scripture. But maybe he's even saying, I will give it in your biology. And so much so that it says by some of these scientists that a seven-day cycle was found in blood pressure fluctuations in the acid content in the blood, in erythrocytes, in heartbeat, in oral temperature, in, chemi- in the chemical and urine volume, in the rate of 
two neurotransmitters, which are norepinephrine and epinephrine, and the increase in various body uh, chemicals such as cortisol. I wonder if God, even in our biology, is saying, Shabbat is real. I want this day of joy to echo from you to your community. And may people see that I am real as creator, as deliverer, and the one who will take you home for eternity.